0: I realize we've stood quite a bit, but it's not going to hurt us to get our blood circulating a little bit, because I notice some of us are a little prone to nod off if we don't circulate our blood a little bit, so uh, I think it might be good just to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm, I'm not sure really where to start in, in this chapter. I, I started out with one idea and ended up so many different thoughts in that, that is so power-packed but uh, we'll do our best to get you out before supper time, if we can at all. The former treatise, first verse, have I made, O O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also he shewed himself alive, After his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart, depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water." But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up unto heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you unto heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go unto heaven. And they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath journey, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. Father, we thank you this morning for the preservation of your divine word that has reached us this day. We pray, Father, that we could be skillful in the handling of your word and careful in it, and be anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we give you honor and praise and the glory. Amen. You may be seated. I noticed two words that had had been called to my attention by a minister at a conference didn't seem to mean much then but while I was pondering the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost those words began to take on a new meaning the eleventh verse said ye men of Galilee why stand you gazing up unto heaven everybody say gazing Gazing. everybody say it again gazing. gazing And then the twelfth verse says, Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem's Sabbath day's journey. Everybody say, "returned." Return. Say it again, returned. Return. And those two words captivated my attention and made me to consider asking a question to us this morning. Are we still gazing... Up into the heavens waiting for the return of Jesus, or have we returned to the issues that's set before us, which is witnessing to the world? And I believe that there's a lot of gazing today, and I'm not against this morning for us looking for the coming of the Lord. But so many of us are so spiritual-minded that we're no earthly good. Amen? Amen. I mean by that that we are so spiritual that we look up for the coming of the Lord and think and dream about that. And while we're doing that, we're forgetting the commission that has been left us, which is reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His holiness. And that is exactly what happened to these disciples. Jesus had given them Their instructions are these follows, I'll put it that way. Later on it exclaims there was probably about 500 at one time and 120 remain and was blessed. But Jesus had told them that in several different occasions, not only was he going to be crucified and raised again, but he was going to ascend back into the heavens and move off of this body and go back into the eternities. But he said, I'm going to give you power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So with, with that power, you'll be able to witness, beginning at Jerusalem or at home, and then spreading on into all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, he was including you and I in that, yes. because it was literally impossible for those that were standing there to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, as long as there is human beings, that's where they said it should go. And he said, I'm going to give you power to do that, and power to witness to them. And he said, first you've got to go to Jerusalem. And then, as they beheld him and hung on to his final words... He began to be taken up. And I have to stand and place myself, and it would do us good this morning if we would stand and place ourselves there some 2,000 years ago. And here's a man that we got acquainted with and loved and we followed him and we liked his teaching and the feeding of the 5,000 and we watched his miracles and we experienced the Uh, the calamity of his death where it looked like everything was going fine and finally our leader is taken from us and he's dead and we are very much in despair and then all at once he's with us again after three days and three nights he has arisen and he on occasions appeared supernaturally unto these people in other words, they was behind locked doors in fear of the Jews, and Jesus just appeared there in his bodily form. And of course, they become accustomed to a Jesus that they had not been accustomed to before, one without limitations of human flesh. And so it was with this Jesus they had been with for 40 days and 40 nights they had known this type of Jesus. And they had listened to his words, and the grand finale was to be now. He leaves them the parting instructions and gives them the authority and places on their shoulders the responsibility of the entire world. Now before that, that was the responsibility of God Almighty and then became the responsibility of God veiled in flesh. And I want you to notice right here, saints of God, right here in this particular scripture, he turns over the responsibility of this world to his followers, And that responsibility still lies upon the shoulders of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I this morning, if you please, the responsibility is still ours. So I'm going to say again and repeat some of the things I might have said and sounded crude Wednesday night. While we wallow in our self-pity and while we whine around at the little incidental things that happen in our life, there's individuals that are dying and going to hell that's never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's undergoing more things has underwent in their short span of life than we have in the long span of ours. And sometimes we fail to realize... God is our personal God, yes, but the responsibility was transferred right there at that chapter to his followers, which was 120, to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. In other words, as far as God was concerned, the church was in his mind, it would be complete. And so he transferred that responsibility there, and immediately after he said that, Then he began to, earth began to lose its gravity. Now they had experienced this before. They had saw the marvelous power uh, of this uh, this Jesus, which wasn't limited to flesh anymore, but was in his glorified body. And, of course, uh, this must have startled them a little bit. Imagine what you would think. If you were standing there and somebody was talking to you and somebody unloaded the whole load on your shoulders and then all at once that which you had always put your dependence in began to ascend. He began to do something that no other man had ever done. Earth began to lose its gravity. And the Bible says, baby, help. I don't know whether they were awestruck. I don't know if maybe they thought that he had appeared and disappeared before. There is every possibility that he just might uh, be caught out of their sight and then might come back again. I'm not sure this morning what went on in the mind of those individuals as they stood there. But whatever happened, they saw the bodily form of God veiled in the flesh until a cloud enveloped him and received him out of their sight. And then they stood looking. They still stared gazing. I want you to imagine with that heavy responsibility of a lost and dying world, upon their shoulders they stood gazing, looking at the very spot where the clouds received the body of God Almighty or Jesus Christ, out of their sight they stared gazing into the heavens. Now, there was an urgency about this thing. Jesus spoke for 40 days and 40 nights in urgency. It was urgent that He get His message to those that had been chosen and followed Him. It was important that He established within them a responsibility that they might know it and follow after it and it was important to Jesus that they don't try to be a witness without the witnesser inside of them which was the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives it was important to him that they know that they should go to Jerusalem and there he would endue them with power from on high and they stood there gazing into the heavens And finally, the urgency was so great. This is where I get it. It was so important unto God Almighty that He... I don't know how long they stood there. I can imagine spellbound it could have been minutes. Possibly could have been hours. I'm not sure how long they would have stayed there, perhaps awaiting... For that same body that they saw enveloped in the clouds, perhaps for the clouds to part, and for them to see Him again. You see, this speaks to me, that it's hard for mankind to accept spiritualist responsibility. That's right. You see, what they were doing was accepting a responsibility without having yet been endued with power from on high, and it must have steered them. Right. They must have been shook in their boots, and they probably were standing there and wondering if maybe He would not appear to them again. How long they stood, I don't know. But they stood too long, because God Almighty realized the importance of a world being without a witness. Have you ever imagined what it was like for a world to be without a witness? And that has never happened before, and this is the first time that has happened, And this world went ten days without a witness. Because Jesus Christ Himself had turned the responsibility of witnessing over to these individuals and they were to tarry in the upper room for ten days before they said one thing. And God was concerned about a world that's wandering in despair without a witness. And He realized the urgency of the hour. And so he dispatched two angels from the very portions of glory and told them to go down one more time and challenge these individuals to the greatness of their responsibility and give them a word from me, God says. And so they came down and they challenged these men and said according to the Bible, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? In other words, don't you understand that your responsibility goes greater than looking into the heavens where He disappeared? Your responsibility is not up there. Your responsibility is down here. And friend, that's the same word that God is speaking to us this morning. If our responsibility is down here. Amen. Just don't leave the world without a witness. Let's don't leave our friends without a witness. Let's don't even leave our enemies without a witness. And so he gave them something else. Because he said, this same Jesus that is taken from you and you saw him appear into the heavens. Now he says he's going to come in like manner. As ye have seen him go under the heavens. In other words, when the womb of the sky swallowed up this God man, they didn't see him anymore. But he was telling them, You accept your responsibility. You be what you're supposed to be. You go to Jerusalem, get the power to witness, and you witness, and then this same Jesus. Not a different one, not in a different way, but this same Jesus is going to return just like you saw Him go away. The Bible says, As the lightning shineth from the east even into the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, we don't have to keep our eyes in the heavens. We're going to know He's coming anyway. In a split second, our eyes should be upon the world. A world that's dying. A world that's lost. A world is hurting. A world that's in sorrow. A world that needs intercessory prayer. A world that needs a church that cares and understands and hurts with them. And this church cannot be except it be endued with power from on high. I don't know how to feel like Jesus felt other than through the Holy Ghost. I don't know how to speak as He spoke other than through the Holy Ghost. I don't know how to walk as He walked other than through the power of the Holy Ghost. All of this inside of us. And it's needful. I'm not saying we can't talk to people without it. I'm saying to be the type of witness that we ought to be. We ought to have divine intervention in our life. We ought to have divine words has spoken under the inspiration and power of the Holy Ghost. And he says, now quit gazing. And the Bible says, and they returned. In other words, they began to realize that they didn't know for sure when he was coming back. But that responsibility finally landed upon their shoulders. What else would have driven them to Jerusalem? What else would have caused them to go and wait and tarry and pray away from their family and friends perhaps for ten days? Some say seven days. Some say ten. I'm going to go with ten days here because that's what most believe. And really it doesn't matter. What really matters is they stayed there. They dare not do anything else. In other words, they must have realized when I had angels come down, if this was serious enough for God to dispend, uh, dispatch two angelic angels to challenge our mind, it's serious enough for us to get serious this morning, and it's still serious enough for us to get serious about God. And so, the heaviness of the burden finally come up down upon them, and they, res- they realized that they were to be witnesses. And they had to start in their own hometown, a place where they had been abused, a place where they had crucified the master, a place where they didn't believe, and a place where everybody knew their life from A to Z. Everybody knew their failures. Everybody knew their weaknesses. Everybody knew that some of them wouldn't even appear and witness for Jesus Christ in his trial. They wouldn't even appear there. The Bible says he couldn't find anybody to stand with him. He stood alone. Right. On this whole countryside, their own city knew uh, that they had uh, locked themselves in, and they were afraid. And now then, Christ has told them with His final words, "You're going to be witnesses." But I'm going to send you something that will change your life. Amen. It will change your life. It will change your speech. Now I challenge you this morning. Friend, how long have we been gazing into the heavens and failed to realize the responsibility of reaching the world and have not returned some to receive power and once we have to receive it, we have not utilized it. And a lot of us are waiting for Jesus to come and change this world. Well, He's not going to. Things are going to be changed when He comes, but it's up to the church of the living God to be a witness to this world. Jesus, right there, ten days before He sent him out, put down the responsibility upon them. Yes. And here's a world wallowing in sin and despair that has to go without one witness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until those witnesses are prepared. Every moment was precious. God would not allow them to stand there gazing supernaturally into the heavens waiting for Him to do something that He placed upon their shoulders. So He sends divine intervention. And He challenges them with some words and gives them some comfort and tells them to do their job. And when it's done, Jesus Christ will come just like He went away. In other words, there comes a time when Jesus is coming back again. But right now, 2,000 years almost later, and you remember what we said Wednesday night, you that were here? If our calendars are right, and if what theologists say is right, where this world changes, our dispensations change every 2,000 years, and our calendar is right, that simply means we've got five years before tribulation begins for the church to get ready to meet the opposition that is going to come. And 12 years, and I'm not sitting at eight, I'm just saying if. And 12 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, or 12 years before the year 2000. And still with that lies a heavy on us saints. Still with us lies the responsibility that Jesus gave us. And challenges our life. I wonder sometimes, are we gazing? The gospel reacts on different people. If you notice in Acts 2.37 when when Peter preached that message under the inspiration and power of the Holy Ghost this was the same Peter that was a coward had denied the Lord three times in the face of just a child or two or some ladies. And finally he comes out in that upper room with a fresh vision with a fresh anointing has inside a power to witness and he stands up and he challenges them and preaches to them and says, you have crucified that Lord of glory. The Bible says in one instance they were pricked in their hearts and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And you know Peter's words? Peter's words were this, why don't you repent of what you've done? Why don't you be sorry for the fact that this was the King of glory that you crucified? And why don't you repent of it? And then why don't you take that name you despise in baptism and become part of the family of God? And why don't you receive the Holy Ghost? And then there was another time in Acts 5.23 when a message was preached to them. You see, these people were returning. They was returning. They wasn't gazing back unto that which was old, unto that which they had heard, and unto the law. They wasn't gazing to the law. They was gazing to returning back to the oracles that Jesus had left. And they said, what can we do to remedy this thing? And He told them. And then a Gospel was preached to another group in Acts 5.23. And the Bible says, and they were cut in their hearts and took counsel to slay those individuals that administered the gospel. In other words, they were still gazing at their traditions, and still gazing into their isms and schisms, and still gazing with their worldly mind, and could not return to Christ, who came and liberated them, and gave them power. And I realize we can say, my God, how awful that he is." But many of us stand gazing again. We gaze sometimes back at Pentecost in our own life. We gaze and live upon the shout of the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's good that some of us have not removed from that yet. We still gaze at it. And the great responsibility is not how good it will make us feel. That's not what the Holy Ghost is for primarily, although it will make you feel good. The primary reason for the Holy Ghost is how good it will make somebody else feel when we tell them about it and when they receive it. In just a few more minutes, if I can find that, a scripture dawned on me that I haven't even got got written down. I think it's somewhere in the 6th chapter. Stephen, who was actually just one of the elders, so to speak, all he would have had to have done is take care of some of the world he needs, and he would have never gotten in much problems. But he wanted more than that. He was tired of just gazing at individuals as they'd done their thing. He wanted to be part of it. And so... He gets anointed. The Bible says and Stephen, full of faith and power, 6th chapter, eight verse, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then it also says, and there rose certain the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them at Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. In other words, when you've got something, it'll stand, Saints. It'll stand the disputings of anybody. I mean, if you really got what it takes, and Stephen had what it takes, it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. In other words, who was this talking? This was not Stephen talking, because any man can withstand any man's wisdom. This was something else talking. This was that witnesser inside that was talking. And friend, you can't withstand the wisdom of God. And so then they suborned men which said, in other words, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Now notice they couldn't find any good witnesses, so they set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words um, uh, against this holy place and the law. They were still gazing. They were still looking at the law. Even though something greater in preeminence had taken control, they were still looking at the law, or their law, so to speak. It had been so changed. Uh, by the synagogue and those individuals, and it didn't even represent the law that Moses laid down. And sometimes you read, need to read the Torah and some of these other things, which does have the Jewish law in it, and you'll see that it far departs from what Moses said. It obscures everything that Moses said. But they, they said, This man speaks blasphemous things against the holy place of the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. Now notice Stephen is set in a council. He is by himself. Or is he? No, he's not. And neither any more are we, saints of God, wherever we, filled with his power, stand, God Almighty stands with us. And we need to know that. And all that sat in council looked steadfastly on him. In other words, the same word over here where they looked steadfastly in the heavens. Nothing else captivated their view. All eyes was upon Stephen. And they saw his face as if it had been the face of an angel. What does that mean, the Shekinah of glory of a mighty God? which showed those individuals, had they been returning and looking, could have known this was a man of God. And then they asked him a question. Are these things so? And Stephen, as far as on the surface, didn't give him an answer. In other words, he did not answer yes or no. But he did give them an answer. He began at Abraham, their father, who they claimed was their father. And He brought them up from that into the land, told them all of those things, uh, brought into Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs that was moved and Joseph that was sold into Egypt and uh, and the Israelites taken into slavery and Moses. The one they put their faith in. Moses, the man that was called to lead them out. And he went on and on and on talking about Moses and the delivering power of Moses and how Moses was a prophet and God said he was. And then he laid the axe at the root of the tree. He lowered the boom on them. He said, listen. He said, you... And your fathers said one time that let us make us gods and we may worship them. And they departed from the teaching of Moses and made them gods. And God went on to say that your fathers had a tabernacle in the wilderness and talked about Solomon.